0: This week on the Talking Footy podcast, we caught up with Premiership player and coach, the AFL trailblazer Mick Malthouse. 174 games as player for St Kilda and Richmond, 718 games as head coach of Footscray, West Coast, Collingwood, Carlton, and father of four, grandfather of eight. Mick opened up on the highs and lows of his career and amazing life lessons learnt along the way, from measures of success to being your authentic self. Moldhouse, thank you very much for joining us here on the Talking Footy podcast. There's so much to go in such a very short time that we've got with you here. But to start with, um, obviously, career coach, career in the football, now very much a family man, eight grandchildren, four children, eight grandchildren, not finished. I don't think. Not that I've got any say in that. What? Uh, what was more, or what is more challenging, dealing with the Rat Pack? back in the day. <laughs> or juggling the grandchildren turbocharged on Red Coil
1: Well the rat pack looked after themselves. <laughs> the the, nine, the eight grandchildren are interesting because they're just all such individuals and bring and they're all so close. Even though the families aren't necessarily living totally near each other. They anytime we get together they inspire me because their, their closeness is so it's so apparent. They, they don't need to be told they're cousins they just automatically seem to know it um, but they're, they're all all—they're also different you know we, we try to go and see Zach our Eldest uh, play footy on the weekend and then we try to see Holly who plays basketball the next day and she's eight and then we try to go to the ballet who, which Lily does when she's seven Tommy hasn't really worked out what he wants to do yet then it gets down to the next four We are the next four because <laughs> just a little gap in years and um they no doubt will drag us along to their sports, or arts, or whatever else. I mean, being a,
0: first of all, obviously being a player and then a career coach, the demands are are so, so high. And I can see you now, you're beaming talking about your grandchildren. How difficult was it during the the early years with your own children, juggling juggling all of it and the priorities? Yeah,
1: it's interesting because what, what you don't know, you don't know the future. And as a, as a player, I was an okay player. I had a lot of injuries, which probably precluded me from getting, you know, I played 170-odd games. I disappointingly, um, you know, got injuries at the wrong time. One, one year I played, every game and missed the grand final, dislocated mm-hmm. my shoulder, you know. So you, you look at that and you think, you know, it was good at some stages, but, but it tested you in other times. So that testing... Yeah, we were married early, and uh, myself, uh, 21, and their first child came on at 23. And now now we're almost better, you know, best friends. So there, wasn't a, there was challenges because, because I didn't know... You know, football in those days was all Saturday afternoon. So you train Monday, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, Thursday. And you work during the, day, during the week. So you're able to engage with your family pretty much They'd come to the game or they'd come to the after-match or they'd come to the pre the, the Sunday training. When you're coaching, I had no idea I was going to coach. I wanted to coach. Mm-hmm. At what level, my level, I I never thought, I never dreamt that I'd ever be a VFL coach. I applied for the Wangaratta Rovers. <laughs> um, I then applied for uh, Central Districts and uh, I missed that. So I was almost going to go and play again until I got a call from Footscrant, which is totally out of the blue. But then you you didn't... I was actually working and coaching, so I had no time for the family, so Nene was so mm-hmm. good. But somehow we managed. Somehow the kids... we because Nene was one of these people that engaged. So if she'd come to the game, the kids come to the game, and they would stay in the crash. And, and they would meet up after the game, and then we'd go out after the game. And then Sunday, you know, I'd take the kids to... to the Channel Seven or the Channel Ten show that used to be on the Sundays, and then, and as I got older, we still I, I became full time, and then I was able to um, go to their sporting events as as often as I could. In the West, because of the travelling requirements, the regret was that you didn't do as near as often as you as you would have liked. Yeah. But, I, I quite often um, feel bad about it till you talk to the kids and say, well, and they say, no, we didn't miss out. They understood. They understood, but they say they know they didn't miss out. So it, it makes you feel better when, when you know that they, if they ever say, oh, Dad, you weren't at this, you weren't at that, if you think, oh, my God, has it been worth it? It has been worth it. It's had its price. Yeah. But they're all well-balanced. Um, we have still very much a close family. Mm-hmm. And then come back and then coach again. Well, they were then engaging in that even further because they'd come to the games so and they'd come in after the game and we'd go out during the week and
0: that sort of stuff. And as a coach, did that mean that you had a, a greater sense of leniency for
1: your players to have their own oh, absolutely. families? Absolutely. Very, took it totally into, into consideration as best you can. Yeah. Because if they haven't got that as a priority, then they've got a mucked up life. their their football must be second high second to family and we we just it's like waking up in the morning you don't say now let's switch on we need to breathe to walk around no you you just say okay is the family now my football because if one is influencing the other both will break down so it's so important that as best you can manage it give the opportunity even my coaches I introduced way back in the when I was in the West, we had to have one day off. and no, I said one day off's a a little bit of a misnomer in terms of I'm not working. You are working, but you work on times that suit so you. Take your kids to school. Go and have lunch with your wife. Pick your kids up from school. Now that doesn't stop you doing some you know work at home or mm. when they go to bed at night. Come to training on the Friday, if it was a Saturday match. You're fresher, come prepared, but what it did, it meant that they was able to engage with their fans.
0: And you, you've, you've seen the entire evolution of the game, been involved in it for that long, and, and of course most recently at Carlton. Is, is the balance skew if? Are, are the demands on the players and then by extension the coaches, the industry demands too great in creating this imbalance? I think the
1: balance can be out of whack. It can, it, I, I think that you can make... I, I don't know how much time we've got here but I, I look at the I've studied I've gone to America and I've gone to England and I've studied that coaches more than the game, as in American Grid and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, EPL and, so. and, and I love both guys particularly EPL but I, I asked one coach one day um, I said what well, hours do he work and he said like, "You know, it was an assistant coach and they were working later and later and they, they would bend down on a Tuesday night be still there all night. And I said, what are you looking for? They said, we're looking for the. We're looking for this, this we'll, we'll find, if we go through it long enough, we'll find this passage, this play that we need to work on or defend or whatever the case is. I said, thought of that you may be looking for a needle in the haystack and we'll still be there next morning because you're tired instead of being fresh and then, it's a bit yeah. like doing a crossword, you, you can't find the word, you can't find the word, you make it the next morning there it is. And... His answer was, oh, well, if we, don't, if we don't do that, we're against the norm because everyone else is doing it. But I don't know whether everyone else is right. So have we, have we got the balance right? Players have more, seem to have more time. Maybe the Players Association have been right in making sure players have a bit more time. Uh, coaches, you, you've, you've got to have a good balance to get a good result, that's my opinion. What is a good balance? That's going to be determined on probably club by club. It depends where you are. Yeah. You know, I coached 10 years in the West and that was very, very difficult because you're travelling a lot of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't think people really appreciate a travelling team, the requirements.
0: Well, we'll come back to some more of those philosophies and, and your thoughts in, in a second, but just to get nostalgic for a minute, obviously playing career with St Kilda and Richmond, a premiership player at Richmond. Do you have a connection with the Tigers? Was there a sense of pride when you saw them winning last year? What's what's the feeling you get when you reflect on that premiership as a player?
1: Yeah, uh, I was. I've still got a, a real soft spot for the Saints because um, I spent my first four years there. You know, in an environment that I didn't think I belonged. To because as much as I wanted to play VFL football, I arrived at the Saints when they were. Off the, back of the, off the back of the grand final against Hawthorne in 71. So there really was football side and I, and I kept on asking myself, why am I here? So, and I, and I was there for four and a half years with, with the great and late Alan Jones. Then to go to Richmond and to have three or four coaches, all either premiership coaches or premiership players and really good people. And you believe, if you believe at a football club and you have some form of success, I reckon it's sort of... My grandson's grandma jumper, premiership jumper, it's on his wall, he buries the tykes. That probably tells you, really? where you where you feel. Yeah. You know, because that's, you've done the hard yards. You know, you've, you've had some good times, you've had some bad times. And players, unless you're a superstar, you're inevitably really going to have a lot of times thinking about a bad game or a bad injury or something like that am, am
0: I right in saying that once you'd finished playing at Richmond they offered you or they sort of offered and then took back the coaching <laughs> position was, and then reserve coaching Yeah
1: it was, right? it was a really weird situation I, I never I actually hadn't thought about that until because uh, once you once I got uh, the foot scratch job everything sort of just you know my mind just went forward yeah. not, not backwards but yeah I was offered I was, was ca- called in and um uh, Dixon I can't think his first name. Uh, the, the CEO uh, the then general the manager said oh look we're thinking making you making a senior coach and mm-hmm. I thought well where's this come from was like, I was keen but all of a sudden I had this this job and I don't say anything don't say anything oh, I know I wouldn't say anything anyway, a couple of days I like, oh, look, we've, we've had re- we've, we've rethought it you know it didn't really work out with Francis and we and you're a player coming into coaching we just don't want to have Public opinion thing the same. I'm totally different to Francis, yeah. but and I accepted that because it sort of came out of the blue. But would you be seconds coach? I said, yeah, I'd love to because i had <coughs> Yeah. Anyway, a couple of days later they said, oh, look, we can't give you that because you're probably a bit too ambitious for us. And I thought, I'm going to be very careful here. But when you say that, I said, I hope you're not thinking that I'd ever. No, no, you know you're not. You know, we're not. You're not standing type yeah, so yeah. I said, well, be careful. I mean, that is almost a blessing in disguise, knowing. How
0: Richmond sort of transpired mm. thereafter in terms of their coaches, yeah.
1: um, it could have been very, very different. Well, it was interesting because when they put Michael Patterson on, and, and I got put on in January, a very late call up for Footscray, because Blue Hampshire had it until then he mm. resigned or was sacked. I don't know which. Um, and my first game was against the Tigers, so it was really, it really is it's coaching. Yeah. yeah, and coaching against. Really good friends, really good friends. Robbie Wiley and Merton Kane and all those sort of blokes, and it was really, it was weird. But you move on very quickly.
0: Of course, that was a Sliding Doors moment of sorts, six years as coach at Mm. Footscray, and then over to the West. Mm. I was a West Coast fan growing up. So those players in that era that that
1: you were at the helm, (laughs) and the Wild West? Well, interesting, but now, this is interesting, Suley. I, um, I always took exception to people saying it was a stateside because when I arrived there, we were 11th of 14. So we 11th position of 14. And as a interest, given I watched, I don't really watch football shows, but Glenn Jacobs, which was on last night, and I thought, listen to this. I thought, I'm going to go through the team that won in 92 and see how many players that were already there And how many players I actually recruited? So when I got there, you know, so so when I looked at that side, I think there was not, and I only had 20 in those days, didn't have 22. I think there was nine players that I drafted. So every one of those players could have been drafted by anyone else. So there's there's nearly half the side were drafted. So so it wasn't it wasn't, and I'm going to say this that all those players, basically most of them, I suppose, were, were Western. Australian people now, but no one was stopping Victorian clubs from drafting Western Australians. In fact, they used to draft them like you couldn't believe. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things. A misnomer, really. That that side was stacked tight. It turned out to be a very good football side because '91. Uh, I say, unfortunately, I was. Um, Given the role of state coach, state of origin coach, well, my state of origin is Victoria, but they gave me that job, yeah. and we won by a record amount against Victoria. And we had a lot of West Coast players in it, so it was sort of deemed that. But most of those were draftees. Mm. Some of those players I think no, very back big. of: um, no, Kim Ken- Main, Wearing, yeah. Kenner. Yeah, Water water Lewis. Jackage. Yeah. And you know, the, the great thing about it is they're really good people, really, really decent citizens. I, um, I've enjoyed all my coaching and I've enjoyed all my players, and I'm not going to say but the West Coast, because that, that isolates it, but those, so many of those blokes, but just little Tony Evans and... Uh, Peter Symeich, uh, you know, there's uh, Troy Ugle. He didn't play in the Premiership. Uh, Crane Turley, who played in one. Mitchell White, played him. They're just great people, great people. I, I love talking to them when I get the chance. I, I never chase them down. Yeah. But if I bump, bump into them, I love talking to them.
0: Um, you saw Donny
1: Port. Sorry. There's another one, Donny Pipe. Yeah. Good yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you touched on before um, Glenn Jakovich, and you you went back over the team that you're a part of and that you recruited. <laughs> you keep all of your football records? I mean, you've got every year, you've sort of kept material from No, no. no. No? No. Wish I had Did You get rid of it? or what, I mean,
1: I, just, do I know some coaches, they meticulously sort of keep no, everything. I, like, I wish I, I had, wish I, if I had, you know, it's funny, because when I got the first grade job, it came so far out of the blue, it never dawned on me to record, to take, to keep, to do anything. I've, I've got very little, of anything, left of coaching materials. Mm. Not, not necessarily well, I never, a I believe greatly in history and, and nostalgia, but I've never, I've got photographs and a few things like that, but they're all under, you know, sort of like with my kids or whatever yeah. I said about my jumper that's yeah, yeah. on the wall with young Zach. I think there's a the footballs, you know, the, you know the, sort of the milestone footballs are scattered with all the kids that have gone out. Uh, no, I, I'm not materialistic like that. I, I do believe strongly in history, but I guess if you knew that you were going to coach the length, you would probably start to put things aside. Yeah. But I had no idea. I think the longest contract i signed was probably two years. Okay. Uh, I've got, I'll stand creative It may well have been three initially, perhaps, and I say perhaps. It certainly wasn't three in West Coast. It was two. I think may have been three at first up, but then it just went one year or two years. Best. So, you, I never, I never felt secure ever in my coaching. Was that by design? By, did did you, you didn't ask for a long term contract, or no, the clubs I'll, didn't offer you? Didn't, didn't offer, and I, and also I am a pretty insecure person. So I never. I never, I was, I'm one of these people that if it's in your hand and you can wrap your fingers around, it's yours. <clears> if, it's, if it's promised to you and going to be there, and if it's not there, it's not yours. So so those things are future. So if you, if you said, um, oh, you coach coached the dogs for six years, I'd sort of go, well, really? Well, how fantastic. Or coach West Coast for 10 years. You, we went across there for two years. Yeah. Save for 10. So finals every year. But you don't know those things. So on reflection, I would have loved to have kept certain items, but it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. What, what, do you have certain pieces of memorabilia that mean that more to you that you've held on to, or are you specifically?
1: Um... No, I've got. I've got, uh, I've got a medallion worn by my grandfather um, that he, well, several actually, that he won in Gordon Football Club uh, <laughs> in Central Highlands. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, I don't think it was centralised in those days. This is 1914, yeah, well, 14, is 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 14, 15, 16. Um, then I think my father had some um, cups, which unfortunately disappeared or got thrown out uh, after he died. So hmm. no, I, I don't. Um, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got I'd set. Yeah, I've we'll kept the the jock car medals and I've got grand final medals but I'll, I'll give those off to my kids as soon as yeah. I, as soon, as I as soon as I want them they can have them and um, of course 10 years at
0: West Coast and then and then to Collingwood um, and you experienced a certain level of success really early in your tenure there whilst not yeah whilst not achieving the
1: Oregon, you know, I reckon I did achieve the ultimate in 2002 yeah if we measure life on football life on premierships I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed people Bobby Skilton's the greatest, one of the greatest players in history. never played in a premiership Robbie Flower um, the list goes on and goes on but 2002 1987 and 2002 and perhaps 1990 1992 um, were probably as good a year you get 2002 with the side to get to that grand final and play off against the almighty Fitzroy Brisbane, yep. with seven or eight All Australians, three Brownlow medalists, and God knows what else. With the side we had, that that's gave. If I look back on my career, then that is a highlight here
0: So let's, let's sort of let's unpack that, unpack that a little bit. Um, as a, as a player and as a coach, the, the purpose uh, we are sort of told is yes. to win Premiership, right? Of um, but you're suggesting that some of your most enjoyable years and that level of success isn't necessarily determined <clears throat> by, and nor should it be,
1: mm. I'm sort of playing devil's, advocate a little bit here, well, I or should it yeah. be determined by Premiership's one. Well, there's only one Premiership per year. Does yeah. so that that the other sides and everything was failed. 1987 didn't make the finals I was in a side that did not make the finals in 1987 one of my best years so without a doubt because it's it's not it's not the trophy at the end I don't, I don't want to be measured on trophies I want to be measured on effort and the effort in 1987 when you get beaten by 42 goals in your first three games because your sides dissipated the yeah. club were broke we had Captain go up to Sydney we had Best and Ferris go up to Brisbane we had retirees and I was, had under-19 kids come through the reserves are good, so under-19 kids come through we lost the first three games by 42 goals playing round of four the reigning premiers in Hawthorne missed out in the finals by two points so at half a game beat Hawthorne in that game and I, I got more joy by the end of 87 knowing that we could not have run any more out of that group mm. and yet you know probably over half the side we get a game with anyone else. In, in in reflection I'd imagine
0: that's that's easier to say during those pre season periods of those seasons, um, the goal or the aim? Yeah. W- would you suggest that it is to, you know, for, for your teams to, to play finals, to, to finish top four, yep. to win a premiership? Yep. Or are you or is your part of your magic source
1: <coughs> um, effort based? Well, only. no, it's more than that, because it's certainly effort-based, but it's also, you've got to be an optimist, and you've got to say, right oh, we are capable of, realistically, you've got to have a realism about you and say, we're going to make the, the four. In those days, it was the four. We are going to make the four. We've got to try to make the four. And in the back of your mind, you know that, in that year, you know, Carl and Hawthorne, and Someone else was just superior. So if you, you, you can sneak in, mm-hmm. so that was the goal. But after game one, and game two, and game three, you really assess where you're at when I mean, you've lost by forty-two goals. Looking down. Yep. it's then based on the next contest more than even the next game, and that's what we focused on. That's I was. Do remember? I was only a very young. I was thirty when I started coaching. So every game taught me a lesson mm-hmm. and taught some of my players lessons. I Tagged with um, Tony McGuinness on the great John Platt and he knocked him over comprehensively but he didn't think he had it in him to be a tagging player but he had to because we were just going to get slaughtered all year and it changed the dynamics of our team and in many respects it gave Tony McGuinness a new look at football. So what, what, would, be, what would be the, the
0: experienced mentor that you are now? What would be the three lessons that you'd tell to a younger
1: self, to a younger Mick Moldhouse, just starting out as a coach? OK, well, my, the first one was, and, and simply is, I got a message from a, a, a great uh, mentor, co- coach of mine, be Mick Mulhouse, don't be anyone else. So that, that's the first thing. Or whatever, whoever's, whoever it is in front of you, be yourself. What if we don't like Mick Mulhouse no but be yourself don't, yeah. be, don't be me be yourself yeah. you know so that's, that's what you've got to be is be yourself totally but acknowledge at least acknowledge history history is the greatest lesson giver of all time so it's no. you can defy history but, you, but all history will catch up with you so have a look at why and how you are formed and so right I'm still myself but I've got to acknowledge that the game is such I owe the game this mm. and, and now what sort of people do I want playing for me? So therefore, one of the greatest uh, leaders in we, we hear about a lot of great leaders, but one that's in particular that's, that's, that's my bible is Ernest Shackleton. And the only reason why his crew were able to survive because he chose the right people. So if I'm going to say this to you said you what I think is, is be yourself, or get the best type of person around you. Don't be intimidated by how good they might be and better than you are in certain aspects. Uh, and then, and, and and finally, is formulate something that is going to be practical for your group, and just and run with it. But don't be scared to change it. Yeah, yeah. You
0: you mentioned um,
1: the advice your mentor
0: gave you. Can I ask who that? That was Alan Jones. That was Alan Jones. Yeah. Um, did that.
1: Did you have a mentor throughout the entirety of your coaching career? Do you still have one now? No. I, when I use, it, I use that word loosely, mentor, I shouldn't use it because I, I really didn't have anyone that I was dependent on. Uh, growing up, I suppose, uh, you, you, you know, you, you had your parents and, and my grandfather Came into it and my father got ill. But basically, I learned from people, but I never had anyone that I... I didn't want anyone when I look back now it was more a choice I didn't want any one person to be I didn't want to be dependent on yeah. any one person yeah. so when Gene threw me up and said to, you know congratulations but be Mick Malthouse I said well I'm not going to be anyone else but it was good hearing it because it was just reinforced that I wanted to be who I was not anyone else and so I could throw Tommy Haphy in there because he had profound effect also um When you've got two uh, contrasting coaches, the greatest thing that came out of that for me, when they coached me, was they're both premiership coaches. They both get the best out of their their people, but they both do it so differently. So in my eyes, it was fantastic, because it said there's not a particular way of getting people to the top, because if Jeans can get it by being a highly defensive coach, and Hafey can get it by being a very offensive Mm -hmm. coach, then I can sit in the middle, and do what I want to do, and yeah. we, I can still get there. I don't have to be jeans, so I don't have to be happy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just to sort of jumping off, jumping around a little bit if you can, tangent. Since to jump back in the timeline, obviously finished up at Collingwood after you know, a long period of time there, mm-hmm. and then crossed over to arch rival in, in Carlton. Yeah. What was what was part of the appeal? What did you see in that club that <coughs> well
1: attracted you? I felt uh, at Collingwood that I wasn't finished, you know, it was the way it was and that sort of stuff. I was out of football for 12 months, driving everyone nuts. But I really, I didn't have my eyes on Carl at all. It was just that I had a call from Greg Swan who wanted me to introduce me to Stephen Kernahan, And they came to my house and they said, we would like you to coach Carl. And then it got on very, very well with uh, Leonie Swan. And I think Nanny was the one who didn't want me to coach. It's always the keys not yeah. it Yeah, through the wires. And so I think Leone might have sort of hinted that it would be a good club to come back. But you know, you know, the, the worst thing about the Carlton thing was that the two people who put me on were gone in 18 months. Greg Swan had been sacked and Stephen Kernahan um, said he'd stepped down after 18 months. And I, I, I knew Stephen from a distance, only as a player, just watched it, coached against him. But mm. when, when I first met him, I had no doubts that this bloke is a really decent, fantastic person and a very strong bloke. And I thought, well, you know, I've got now Greg Swan, who I really admired as a CEO at Colin and Stephen Kearney. And so the, the asking was, would you coach? Well, it didn't take long to say yes, because I thought well, I had them both covering what I wanted to do at Carlin. There's, you know, I'd like to think I helped rebuild Footscray. I'd like to think I helped build West Coast and there's no doubt from 16th place Collingwood probably had three sides through that period of 12 years helped rebuild so I I just looked at Carl and thought this is going to be a rebuild and it's going to take some time but that time was uh, cut short yeah do you have
0: have any um, any regrets or if you had your time again um, you sort of mentioned that you felt your time at Collingwood wasn't it uh, wasn't finished, you had yeah. some unfinished work there and then and again at Carlton. Well, coaches can't
1: choose. You know, you don't... You, you, well, you can choose, but how many result, resign? Re, you know, how many retire? Not yeah. many. So, it, as, as a... The, the, the regret is that we just didn't have the time. When yeah. you say we, in both uh, circumstances? The yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and, and, and the further regret was that probably through admission omission, I didn't have a. I didn't get the true picture of where Carlton was at in terms of player personnel and their contracts and how long they were going for. Mm-hmm. So that left a little bit. You know, when I first got the job, I thought, you know, this is going to be a bit longer than what I anticipated because, you know, were, a lot of players were locked away and the salary cap was really tight. But if you've still got to have in any football club, you've got to have good, strong support. And, and nothing against who came in in those positions because they came in probably a, a, with a clean slate. But I didn't get... You know, I had great support from Rex I had great support from Stephen Kearney because they put you on. Yeah. But when, when, when your allies disappear, as a football coach, you are in a lot of strife. <laughs> That's just the way it works out. Yeah, and it, it's... It-
0: is a paradox in that sense, and that it is such a personal yeah. game, but as you just said, as a coach, you don't resign. No, very few resign. I mean, you just you just don't, right? And so then uh, that, that those personal relationships, and I would imagine it's hard not to take the sackings, I guess, or the um, the walking. It, it's hard to take, it not personally.
1: Well, is that fair? I, I, yeah, but when you're in a game. I think one thing is for certain and I was too naive at Footscray but from there on in I realised that every coach has his name on a book and it's going to get you at some stage it just swings around and goes around so it's going to get you and you it's always getting bitter and twisted about it because you just know that the greatest and longest serving coaches have you know Norm Smith got sacked by South Melbourne I think it was or, sorry by Melbourne at one stage you know yeah. so and he he he's you know marked as one of the greatest if not the greatest coach. Um, there wouldn't be too many coaches to survive. And, and they know, and if they do resign, they know the time's up. <laughs> so it's so it's, it's getting in before the club. So before. But it. what you, <laughs> know, you know, we 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 don't we preach loyalty, but we don't overly display it at times. And that's one of the things that when I talked to players, when I was talking to players about staying at the football club or whatever the case was, I never said you have to stay because you know we've been loyal to you. Because the next player that comes in, you're probably telling him to leave or cut him. So you only you only you've got to get used to the fact that it's a business. You you hate saying it this, but it's a business. you can only pick twenty two players every week. There's twenty-third players are generally bitter and twisted because they go, Why am I getting a game? I don't know a coach ever that picks a side not to win. That's always to them. I've picked the side to win. That's the twenty two. It doesn't mean that if I bring you in, I don't think that you can win it, but that's the twenty two that I think can win it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with boards and you know you know, we we're a very good a good sporting nation. And we always preach that we're there for... We're, we're always there when there's doom and gloom and perhaps tragedy. But when we have to be honest, football clubs and people in them are not always up front with it. And that's, that's disappointing, but it's the nature of you know, who's going who's, who's the bearer of the bad news. Yeah. And some people do it up front and other people don't. And some people want you to go in a certain direction. You know, I I thought at Carlton there was a direction that we needed to take. The board thought it was, and the administration thought it was another way. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying they're right. But at the end of it, you accept their decision. They're going to sack you. They sack you. You move on. Um, The only thing they haven't got is any of my grandchildren ready (laughs) for (laughs) Carlton. That says (laughs) enough in itself. (laughs) That's right coaching? Okay. Oh, the com- the player, com- play. You know, just telling a young bloke he's got a first game, a uh, uh, big events, You know, getting getting blokes over the line, and, and I'm I'm really guilty of not as a as a junior coach. That was uh, on my time. If I had my time over again, I would have got a few more blokes over uh, over um, games that would have been monumental to them, mm. which I didn't. But later on, I did. But yeah. uh, but as a young young coach, you, you're so naive to it, you know. This who cares and you know it doesn't matter. it's the sort of picking blah, blah blah. So like like a bloke like Murray Rance, I think he played 98 games. You know, why couldn't I get him action too? And you know, I got May wearing his 200th, and he says that's his that, well, late Chris. He said that was a, his greatest achievement. Also the premierships. So wow. and, he, and he and he had two he had two knees that fed You needed. Walking six to get down the race, and I still wouldn't a lot length. He's two hundred. Why couldn't I have done that earlier? Because you're naive and you you knew. But <clears throat> so, but coaching is all—it it just absorbs you, and you and sh- you share the wins, you share the losses, yeah. you share everything, and and you see young men grow into adults. Conversely, mm-hmm. the camaraderie and that growth is what you enjoyed most. What did you dislike? What was what was the one aspect that... I think, I just think lack of strength at times by people instead of being right up front with you. So dishonesty? I wouldn't even call it dishonesty because that's, that's gone too far. That's a little bit too uh, far. I'd say it's more just facing up to, you know, okay. you know we don't, you don't... One of the things that you'll always get in a football club is you're numb and you're wondering when you've lost because there will be certain people in the corner talking and they'll turn their back on you as you walk in the room after a game. You know full well they're talking about the result and how you're coaching. <laughs> I used to say, um, be there for good, be there for bad. And if you've got something, come up and say, Nick, why, you know, why did you make that move or why this? Now, there's time and places to do that, But I, I don't think everyone is as strong as they should be
0: yeah who, who did you enjoy coaching the most for, for,
1: firstly the, the team I guess and then the individuals well I could pick moments for every club so that'd be unfair to answer one or the other I, I just clearly thoroughly enjoyed the dogs yeah uh, some of the characters there, and I still run into them from time to time it's just outstanding you know my, my, my wife still meets with some of the footscope <laughs> girls that's going Fantastic. back since the 80s. Um, West Coast, I've got great friendship with Trevor Nesbitt, and I've got to... You know, if, if I can get to the West any time, I still meet up with Robbie Wiley, Timmy Jepp, George Young and mm-hmm. Ian Miller. Um, Dan Jackovich, when he comes out to Victoria, uh, he'll inevitably give me a call. I'll, I'll, I'll have a coffee. Uh, Tommy Kemp, out of the blue, just rings me. Then you go to Collingwood, and I've got... You know, you can still get Benny Johnson still tell me how great he was. Uh, Paul Lucuria, Jimmy Clement, um, Chris Terran, you know, it's, all, it's Look, the list goes on. I, I couldn't... I'd be unfair to say I enjoyed coaching one club more than yeah. that. Carl was too short to really generate that, that um, involvement. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And we're getting squeezed for
0: time a little bit, but I know in, in my career there's specific moments that I've had where you just
1: think, oh, well, what if... Any for you? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of what-ifs. Um, 1996 or 7, what if uh, Mitchell White and Andrew Domley didn't get osteotis pubis together? Because we'd won nine or ten in a row, really looking good. Mm-hmm. They did. I lost my two key forwards. <laughs> Inevitably, I don't see lose that. What if Josh Fraser had played in the preliminary final in, in 2007? And we went to the West. We drew with West Coast. Beat them in time on. I uh, beat them at a time. Went back. Played along Lost by three points. Josh pulled out on the Thursday night, um, and, and, and he didn't believe he could help us. I, I wish now I had talked him into playing because he would have. As an, even an injured ruckman, because the best of my ground was odds. they yeah. Lost by three points. They won't have won by a one more record amount. What if? Um, Re- regrets, I should have played Mitchell White in 1994, still bugs me, I didn't, uh, I won't say who I should have left out. Have you, have you had that conversation with, with Mitchell? I probably White? have. I'm sure he's heard you say it, but have yeah. you actually had that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I probably did, I wish I had. Have. He played in 92, so it's not as if he didn't, but yeah. I wish I had played him, I wish I had got Murray he's, he's hundredth. I wish I had have. a couple of others that Pig headness. I probably didn't change the side when I had an opportunity to change the side with the weather, and I thought, no, I'm going to leave him out just to tell him why he's out of the side. But I, you know, one was Dougie Hawkins, and you know, I, I run to Doug frequently, and he's just a beauty. I love Dougie. Um, but those regrets are the ones that make you stronger. Uh, so you, you'll always have regrets part of the lessons learned yeah. we'll wrap it, wrap it up with
0: um, just some word associations Yeah. the first thing that pops into your mind mm-hmm. when I say St Kilda
1: feel sorry simple, sorry yeah Richmond love the Tikes Footscray love the dogs
0: <laughs>
1: West Coast oh, highly professional Collingwood just amazing Carlton? Um, bit disappointing yeah Peter Matera. One of the best. Glenn Jackovich. The best. Chris Lewis. Extremely talented, lovely bloke. Chris Mainwaring. Oh, you, you just, that, that's, that smile makes you melt. What a great bloke he was. Leon Davis. Magic. Scotty Burns, Tough as. Paul Currier. Um Just a beautiful person. Eddie, you um, are. Passionate. Bucks? Um, passionate. Mark Murphy? Um, probably could have been better. Christian,
0: great blood. When, when was the last
1: time you tried? Uh, that's a damn good question. Um, I, can't, I can't remember, I know I have yeah. plenty of times.
0: <laughs> and most of them have been about football. <laughs> um, and you have uh, been in the game longer than most. Is there anything you'd change
1: as the game stands? Ah, uh, yes. I don't know if this is worse association, but we think the game's the best in the world. Of the nine games played every weekend, there's only two or three good games. We're going to reevaluate our assessment of where the game is because the world game just seems to get better and better. Rugby union is—it's kept basically kept the rules, which means that we know what we you get. It's a great game. We are in constant flux because we're not satisfied should we be not too sure but we can't constantly think we're going to get nine good games with without nine good teams 18 good teams having a lot of good players we haven't got enough good players Mm. Mick Malthouse the
0: greatest longest serving coach of our game very much your own man thank you very much for the chat been a pleasure we enjoyed it We're talking footy.